Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes, and we appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Romans chapter 9 is where we've been looking, and uh, uh, we... uh, we looked at Romans chapter 8 and we kind of rounded out the uh, Paul's treatise on salvation and getting to salvation and moving to uh, that place in which we can understand and know uh, that our salvation comes from God and, and He has provided for us and that it's open to anyone and all. And, and so Paul's kind of laid out the, the argument for the fact that uh, we don't come to God simply because of the fact of who we are, uh, uh, who our family is, or or what circumstances we have in life. It's not anything that that we have done, but rather it's what God has done. It is because of God's grace. And grace has been the theme of Paul's letter to the Romans up to this point. Last week we looked at uh, the Spirit and how we can know that our salvation is is held intact and, and held in place because of the Spirit and that we're new in the Spirit. We're not, old, uh, we're not in our old self and our old bodies and the old way of, of the flesh, as Paul puts it, but we're in the Spirit, and so we need to live in the Spirit. And Paul uh, rounds out the last part of chapter 8 uh, that we've already looked at uh, before, uh, talking about the victory of God. God's victory, all that God has done through all of this has been uh, to seal our salvation, to, to have our, uh, our relationship to Him intact. And so Paul finishes up chapter 8 uh, and again, we're not going to look at that again because we've already looked at that before. But <clears throat> he speaks about the fact that God has the victory. It's not that uh, that we have a victory in ourselves and that what we've done, that'd be like going to Wendy's and getting a hamburger and, and saying, oh, we won, we, we got the victory because we bought a hamburger and sat down and ate it. I mean, it's nothing that we did. We didn't make the hamburger. We paid. Uh, we went up to the counter. We put in our order. We we paid for our meal. We sat down, and we had a hamburger there. Uh, it, it's not a victory for us because it's not anything we've done. Salvation is not a victory for us. It's a victory for God uh, because of what God has done, because of what He has accomplished in Jesus Christ, that we have the victory. Now we come to chapter 9, and it is uh, almost a whole new section of Romans. As Paul uh, begins this next chapter, he talks about something else that we need to keep in mind as we uh, walk in the Spirit, as we are walking in our relationship to God. Now remember, we have... Uh, salvation because of God's grace. We have salvation because of what God has done. Now we see the next phase. Look with me in chapter 9, verse 1. It says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness uh, 
in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the admonition and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Let's stop there for for now and look at this. Paul's next statements after he's gone through this whole treatise on grace and he's come through to the end of... of, It's kind of like... uh, uh, and many people have done this, have taken the, the words in Romans and uh, these first eight chapters and have used those to share the gospel with people as they have uh, been witnessing. They use uh, all of these verses to talk about how we're uh, dead in sin, how we need a Savior, how Jesus Christ came and provided for us and God uh, gave His grace in Jesus Christ and we have salvation. We're sealed. Now Paul comes to the next part and he says, I have great heaviness in my heart because of the Holy Spirit, uh, because of what God's Holy Spirit is doing in me. He says, I have a heaviness for uh, those who are my kinsmen. Paul is beginning to lay out for those readers who are reading this uh, original letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome that he has a great desire to see them come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He says, I have great heaviness. I have a great burden. Uh, My conscience is bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. He says, God knows my heart that he has a great heaviness, a continual sorrow in his heart. Why? Because his kinsmen do not know Jesus Christ in the way that they need to know him. That they don't have a salvation. They've been placing all their trust in what? They've been placing their trust in the law. They've been placing their trust in the fact that they were born into uh, the nation of Israel. The fact that they have uh, uh, this promise of God, the covenant of God that was made with Abraham. And so they've placed all of their trust in all of these things and not in in God, not in what God has done, not in what He accomplished through Jesus Christ. They have all this. And, you know, we're, there's none of us here that are, are Israelites. None of us here are in this same situation. But we see this same circumstance happen even to this day in that, You know them and I know them. There are people who have placed their trust in the fact that they go to church on Sunday. Oh, I'm a Christian because I I faithfully go to church every Sunday. I'm a member. I I remember uh, being a pastor up in West Virginia. We had... Uh, different ones that would come and participate in vacation Bible school and and uh, we'd ask them 
where do you go to church? Because we wanted to know if they were churched or unchurched. We, it was fine if they wanted to come and be a part of our vacation Bible school. Uh, if they were a member of another church. We just wanted to make sure that they were a member somewhere. And they were active in, in church somewhere. And we said, you know, we'd say to some of these young people, where are you a member? And they'd say, well, I'm a member here. I'm a member at Calvary Baptist Church. And we'd look at each other and we kind of scratch our heads a little bit and wonder a little bit. we check the records and no, they'd never come and, and given their heart to Jesus and walk the aisle and become a member of the church. They just simply equated coming to Vacation Bible School as being a member. But you've got some people that, that say, oh, I'm a, I'm a member here. And they place high regard in the fact that they're a member of a church. And they feel like they, that they're safe and secure in, in God because they have, a, uh, uh, they have their name on the church roll. They have uh, been going to church all their life and in uh, Mount Olive Baptist Church or Calvary Baptist Church or Union Grove Baptist Church or any other church, First Baptist Church. They place the, the fact that they've uh, grown up in church, that they uh, were a little child and had been going to Sunday school for... Uh, 40 years straight, never miss. All those things are good, but it doesn't make you in a good place with God. It doesn't make you a Christian. It doesn't make you a child of God. And Paul is what Paul is addressing with these people who live in Rome and the fact that they had placed their trust. Look at what he says. Uh I'm concerned with my brethren, is what he's saying in in verse 3 and verse 4, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law. He says, I'm concerned because you've placed all your trust in the law, in the covenant, in the service of God, in the promises of God. All these things, he says, you've placed your trust in all of those things. And it doesn't. And he, he just laid out the fact that none of that guarantees salvation. His whole treatise from Romans chapter one through cha- uh, Romans chapter eight has all been about the fact that even though you have the law and that you follow the law, that the law is not what's going to save you. It just merely points out that you need a savior. That the ten com- and to put it in modern terms, the Ten Commandments is not going to save you. If you tried to keep the Ten Commandments, you find really quick that what? You find real quick you can't keep the Ten Commandments. You cannot keep all of the Ten Commandments. You might think you can, but Jesus came and He said, look, it's not just the commandments that God gave on Mount Sinai to Moses. He says, you know, even if you... Uh, hate within your heart that hatred is sinful just like murder that uh, even though you don't go out and commit adultery with another woman or uh, fornication with uh, another person uh, when you look at them in lust he says you're committing adultery within your heart Uh, even though you don't steal from your neighbor when you covet that which your neighbor has you're Stealing that within your own heart. It's as if you're stealing. Uh, he says, you need to be aware that, that 
sin is more than just the Ten Commandments. That uh, those things, and what Jesus was really saying is, is, is sin begins in the mind. Sin begins in the heart is what he would say. Sin begins within uh, your life when you look at those things, when you desire those things, when you uh, want to have those things, and you uh, begin to to have those kind of thoughts. If you don't put them out, if you don't uh, avoid that temptation, guess what? Eventually it can mount and build to the point where you are committing adultery, where you are stealing, where you are murdering your brother. All those things lead (coughs) to those other things. And he says, (coughs) all that stuff is sinful in in God's eyes. And And the coveting in your heart is as sinful as going out and and stealing everything your neighbor has. The lust within your heart to God, that sin is just as bad to God as going out and committing adultery. Uh, that <coughs> hatred, that uh, uh, anger that you have with your brother, he says, that to God is as sinful as going out and murdering your brother. And so we need to understand that we, we can't we can't possibly live our lives without uh, breaking the ten, uh, breaking the Ten Commandments, or breaking God's law, or doing things that God considers sin in our life. So, what are we to do? How are we to How are we to live our life? And and Paul, uh, wor- working through the Book of Romans, we've seen that God brought about salvation through Jesus Christ. That God paid the price in, in Jesus Christ. That God. Showed, uh, showed forth His grace towards us in what He did uh, on the cross in Jesus Christ. So now, Paul says, My desire is to see that you would, my brethren would understand that being Israelites, that having the adoption, that being uh, having the law, that having the covenant, the promises, these are not going to keep you, uh, they, these don't make you a child of God. Um, he says, "Whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God bless forever, Amen." He says, "Jesus Christ came that you might be a child of God. Jesus Christ came that you would have that opportunity at salvation." He says, "So, first, Paul is is saying he's uh, greatly burdened, and then he lays out why he's burdened." This is important for us to see in the life of a Christian. And it's no mistake that Paul puts this here. It's not that Paul's gotten finished with his treatise on salvation and and God's grace, that now he begins a different book and begins to talk about his own personal feelings. What he's doing is he's showing you the progression. Now that you are a child of God, now uh, as he's gone through, now that you have salvation, here's what needs to be in your life. You're walking in the Spirit. You're living in the Spirit. You have a new life. You are a child of God. Now what's next? What's what's the next step? You see, so many people, they think coming, walking down the aisle and giving their heart and life to Jesus Christ, that's the last step, that they have finished it, that they've come to the finish line. Paul says, no. You need to understand that that's the starting line. Your next step needs to be uh, what he's exhibiting here. He has a great burden and a great desire that his kin, kindred, would know and understand 
the love of Jesus Christ, that would know and understand the love of God, that would understand and know the grace of God. Paul's saying that as we become Christians and as we walk in the Spirit, we need to have a great desire that uh, those that we love, that those who are around us would know Jesus Christ, that those who are all around us would have a relationship with Christ. Paul's whole purpose for writing the book of Romans is because he's wanting to share the gospel message with his uh, kindred. And the fact that he can't make it to, he can't go to Rome at, at this time and in his life and he's unable to be there, he doesn't want to wait another moment before they have the gospel message. He wants to ensure that they have the message of Jesus Christ. He wants to be sure that they understand and know the love of God and God's grace for their life. And so he says, my heart yearns that you would understand this. Demonstrating to us that we as Christians, when we come and have a relationship with Christ, we become a child of God. We need to have the kind of spirit that has a desire to share the gospel with others. Now, this is a problem for a lot of churches. A lot of churches that I've been in, they tend to think that the whole thing is about getting people down the aisle and getting them to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That is a big part, but it's not the finished product. It's not, the, it's not as I said, this is not the finish line. It's the starting line. We need to not only have a desire that people get saved, we need to have a desire so much so that we realize that there's people all around us that need to have Jesus Christ in their life. That we realize that there are people all around us that need to know the grace of God the way we've learned it. That we don't simply just... And the problem that a lot of churches have is is that we want to... It, we want to rejoice and clap our hands. Look, we got people here at church Sunday morning. Well, that's great. But that's not the whole reason we're here. Our whole reason for being a church is not so that we could come and uh, sing hymns up and down, up and down, sitting and, uh, sitting and standing and singing songs and then uh, listen to me talk for uh, 30, 40 minutes about something in the Bible and then go home and forget everything that we've done. That's not worship. That's not the meaning of church. The purpose of church is to not only to have a place where we... Now, all of that is part of why we have church, that we would come and we would fellowship and worship together, that we would lift each other up in prayer and share in our love of God with each other in song, that we would uh, uh, allow the love of God that is filling our life to overflow our, uh, into the lives of others through the music that we sing and, and the things that we do as we come together to worship. But that's not the whole purpose of, of church. The whole purpose of church also, I- including that, is to then build each other up so that we can then go out into our community, share the love of Christ with others, to let people know that they need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that they need to have uh, a desire to follow in Christ and to have that grace that, that's been applied to our life. And to then go out and to reach others, to to disciple them and have them come and, and give their heart to Christ and disciple them to where they go out and do the same. You see, 
if we were to look at this in terms of the lifespan of a child, being born is not the last step, is it? When a mother carries a baby for uh, nine months or a little bit less, and the day comes that she delivers, and the baby comes out, and you get to take that baby home and start feeding it and all that kind of stuff, you don't feel like your job's finished. You realize your job's just started. Your job is just beginning because that child's going to... Uh, to eat and sleep and poop and then uh, it's going to start teething and start uh, going through all of that. Then before long, the baby's going to start crawling and walking and toddling around and and then the baby's going to start learning and develop. You know, that baby's learning every moment of its life, but we begin to see the things that the baby's learning, beginning to say things, beginning to wonder about life and wondering about things outside of themselves, beginning to question, you know, what's this, what's that? And and you'll go crazy answering all the questions and everything. Then they'll grow up a little bit more and they'll go off and start learning, go to school and all that kind of thing. And then they'll go off and they'll be uh, their own person and uh, start having a, ch- a family of their own and having children and, and repeating the whole process. But if you had a baby and all that baby did was just lay there and eat, sleep, and poop and never grew an inch, never uh, began to crawl, n- never began to uh, stand and, and totter around and never began to walk, never began to talk, you would th- say, something's wrong with my child. we got a lot of churches that are content with eat, sleep, and poop. They're content with coming to Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, content with all of that. As long as people come, we got people here, we're happy. That's not enough. We've got to grow and mature in Christ to the point where we have a burden for others. Listen to the burden that Paul has for others. He says, I have a great heaviness. This, he says, this, uh, this desire to see my fellow, Christ, uh, fellow Romans come to know Jesus Christ, my, uh, my Israelite brothers living in Rome, is such a great desire that I have a heaviness. He had a physical manifestation upon him. He had a heaviness of heart, is what he's saying. He had a a desire that was so great that it was affecting his life. When's the last time you cared enough about someone other than your family members that they would know Jesus Christ, that you had a heaviness in your spirit? Paul says that's something that ought to be part of our life that that should be a matter of course. Paul says, I have a heaviness, and not only a heaviness, but he has continual sorrow in his heart. This desire to, to reach those people who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior was so much that it was on Paul's mind continually. Now... <clears throat> There are some of us that I think chocolate is continually on their mind. Now now that I've said it, you're all thinking about it, right? You're thinking of your favorite form of chocolate. (coughs) Whether it's chocolate cake, chocolate bars, if it's... uh, What what is that? Whatever. 
All chocolate, okay. All chocolate, yeah. Cho- you know, the worst thing you can do if you like chocolate is to go to a chocolate, a place where they make chocolate. We And taking our girls up to North Georgia to look around at the college up there, we went to Helen and they had a place there that had that sold chocolate. They didn't just sell it, they made it. Right, they made fudge and they made all these other chocolate things. And they said when uh, we were driving down the road, oh, let's just go look in and see what it is. I knew what that meant. I knew that if we put, if I pulled in the parking lot, we were we were coming out with a bag of chocolate of some kind. It didn't matter if I went in or if if uh, it didn't matter at all if I pulled in that parking lot and stopped the car long enough for them to get out. They were coming back out with chocolate. Sure enough, three slabs of, of fudge came in came home with us and and. You know, I'm trying to do without all that stuff, and and I love that kind of thing. And it has been a great burden to me to see that and to smell it and to, and to see them eating it and all that, but I've kept quiet until now because they're, they're enjoying it, and that's what you're supposed to do. But if you have, uh, if you love chocolate, it's constantly on your mind. You're thinking about it all the time. And oh, at the wedding the other day, that chocolate fountain, my goodness, oh my goodness. And I and I understand there was supposed to be two of them instead of one fountain, and and one of them broke and, and couldn't run it. It was bad enough just to have one with all that stuff you could put in it and drizzle a. Under that fountain with chocolate. Oh my goodness. Fortunately, when Robin had some of it, she didn't tell me how wonderful it was because it would have been harder to resist. But she ate it all, I can, I can tell you that. <laughs> not, all, not the whole chocolate fountain, but she ate all the chocolate that she put on her plate. But it's not easy when you have a love of chocolate to not think about it, even if you're doing like me and not trying to eat it. Just my talking about it right now, all of you want to go home and get you some chocolate, don't you? Um, Paul says, my desire to reach those that I love with the gospel is like what you're doing right now with chocolate. Just the mere thought of it has caused you to to want to... Follow your impulses to go out and get some chocolate. Paul says, my desire that they would know Christ. Every moment I think about it and it pains me that I cannot go out and reach someone for Christ. Reach a brother for Christ. Reach someone uh, of my kinsmen to know Christ. He says, it's a great burden. It's on my heart. He says, the Holy Spirit knows this. And, and let me tell you something. It's the Holy Spirit that's putting that into Paul's heart. And it should be in your heart as well. To have a continual sorrow for those who are lost. And have a desire to follow those impulses to go out and to share. But you know what? <clears throat> now I started doing this about two years ago, year and a half, something like that watching what I'm eating. And I haven't eaten 
very much of anything that I shouldn't. Every once in a while I'll have a cheat day. It's not really a cheat day. It's a cheat moment because I, I feel bad about cheating and then don't want to cheat anymore the rest of the day. Um, but I might have a little taste of something and I've found that that can be just as dangerous as to just sit down and eat a lot of just to taste a little bit of chocolate or something like that. But uh, I found that I don't have a desire for it as much because I've been putting it off. I've been denying myself chocolate and all those good things because I know it's better for my life at this point to get rid of all this extra weight and to to uh, have a healthier life and my doctors have been telling me look you're improving your your life with all this that you're doing you're doing great now the longer i go the easier it is to see the chocolate fountain to see uh, uh, all the fudge and to see them making chocolate and all that and smell it and all that and and be able to walk away why? Because I hadn't been indulging in it as much and it and I've been stepping away from it. Same way goes with you and your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're walking in the Spirit and you have the Spirit of God placing a burden on your heart for those who are lost, those who are dying and uh, without Jesus Christ, the more you do not act on that impulse of what the Spirit has placed on your heart, the more at times He says, look, you need to go and speak to this person. Tell them about Jesus. You need to go and talk to this person. They're hurting. You, know, you need to go talk to this person. They need someone just to listen. You need to go over here and talk to this person because they're going through something. The more you say, you know, I'm, I'm busy. I can't go. Uh, you know, I'm on my way to work. You know, I'm on my way to the doctor. You know, I'm on my way to this. And, and I'm, I got to go get home because the football game's coming on or whatever it is. The more you say no to God, now, He's still going to be there. He's still going to be prodding you from time and again. But the easier and easier and easier it is, it's going to get to say no. To where you're not like Paul here. You don't have a burden. You don't have a yearning. You don't have a desire. He says, as a child of God, you ought to have a burden to go out and to share with others. A burden to go and, and uh, confess your love for Jesus Christ. Confess what He's done to those. And allow them to hear the message of Christ. And so that's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, look, we've got to go and we've got to share. We've got to go and tell others about Christ. I have a deep burden and that that's modeled in Paul's life that needs to be a part of our life too. We need to share with others and have a desire to go out and to share. Look, it's... It, let's go back to uh, sitting down at the burger joint. Around here we don't have any burger joints that are just out of this world but recently in and out burgers been in the news different ones have been talking about uh, uh, the Shake Shack and some other places that kind of raid up there five guys and all that kind of thing and if we had something like that to open around here that just had an awesome awesome hamburger it's not fair to talk about food right before lunch is it 
Um, if they just had, if, if a new place came to Pelham and they set up a restaurant and they made these just gigantic hamburgers, hand patted, fresh buns made every morning with sesame seeds on the top, tomatoes right out of the garden and lettuce that was just so crisp and fresh. <coughs> all of these <coughs> all of these wonderful ingredients that just made for an awesome, awesome hamburger. And then you sat down and they made it to order and 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 set it in front of you and gave you some of the freshest uh, french fries or, or onion rings that just were off the chart. And you sat down and you uh, had that lunch and you ate that. And then uh, you went and paid your bill and it didn't cost you an arm and a leg like it does at Five Guys or, or In-N-Out Burger. And it was just an amazing, amazing meal. What would you do? Every day. Every day, yeah. You'd go there all the time. Thank you. You're feeling it, aren't you? You're feeling it. Am I good at describing things? Yeah. If, if, uh, you, if you had something like that, you would go every day and would you keep it to yourself? Well, you, would, you wouldn't tell everybody because you wouldn't want it so crowded you couldn't get in. But you would tell the ones you love the most. You would tell your family, let's go, let's go over there. Let's go eat at that burger place. Let's go and enjoy that. And you would tell the ones you love the most and you would go to... Why is it that we don't do that with the gospel? Why is it that we don't do that with what God has done for us? He's given us something greater than, and, than the greatest hamburger, better than anything that we could ever put in our mouth. He's given us the grace of God. He's given us... His love, we ought to want to have, share it with everybody that we can find. We ought to want to go and tell everyone of His great love. Paul says that's the next step in your walk. Not just to get saved, but you now begin to walk in Christ, live in Christ, living in the Spirit, is to have a desire to tell others and to let them know and to help them walk in Christ walk in the Spirit, and then tell others more and more. A living, vibrant church is a church that reproduces itself. Right? In your body, if you start having parts of your body that start to die off, let's say you go, you don't feel too good and you go into the doctor and, and you say, you know, I hadn't been feeling too good. And the doctor runs a lot of tests and everything, and he finds out, you know, your, uh, your kidney's not working too good. Eating too and it, eating too many hamburgers, yeah, that's right. Your kidneys aren't working too good, and eventually he tells you, you know, uh, your kidney's just stopping altogether. What's, what's, what's that leading to? Not a very good picture in your health, isn't it? And let's say uh, he, you go back and he says, you know your liver's showing some problems too. That's a bad sign there. You can't live without your liver. You start having body parts that are dying off. What's happening? You're dying. You're not going to live. When we have 
parts of our church body that are not showing signs of life, that we're not reproducing, that we're not uh, living, we're dying. And when we're not sharing the gospel with others, our church is dying. When we're not leading other people to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, we're dying. Our church is not healthy and living and vibrant, it's dying. Just like that patient that has the kidneys to fail and die, and the liver to fail and die. You can only replace so many things. Your heart begins to show problems. It's harder to get a new heart, isn't it? Okay, It's dying. When you have enough parts of your body that are dying, you know you're dying. Let's not have enough parts of our church body to be dying that we die as a church. We need to live. We need to share the love of Jesus Christ with others. We want to be a living, vibrant church, a church that lives and lasts for another hundred years. We need to be a living, vibrant church that reaches the lost, that helps other people to know Christ, that brings them in, helps them to understand that they need to share Jesus Christ with others. All of this you know. But just like that uh, patient with blood pressure knows not to, to sit down and put salt all over his food, we too need to be reminded from time to time we need to do these steps to live as a church. We need to do these steps to live as a child of God. We need to do these things and stop doing other things in order to be a healthy, vibrant child of God that reaches the lost and is living for Jesus. Let's pray.